Hello and welcome to This Week at Charlestown Road, a branch of the Heavenbound podcast. My name is Jason Harden. I'm here with Roger Schaus, and this is where we reflect on the weekend that was. We dig a little deeper into a recent sermon to give you something to think about as this week unfolds, but also preview what's to come this next weekend at Charlestown Road. Roger, this past Sunday, you took us on a journey from the garden to the garden. Absolutely. This past Sunday was Easter, and it's the time in which the world thinks about the resurrection. Uh, The early disciples, the first Christians, they remember that every Sunday. Every Sunday was a resurrection day. Every Sunday is so special to us. And so we started in the Gospel of John and chapter 18, where we read about a garden of despair. We call it the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus had gone there to pray with his disciples, and Judas shows up, the soldiers show up, and they take Jesus away. Off to Jerusalem he goes. There's a series of bogus trials. He is taken before the Roman governor Pilate. His sentence is declared. There is scourging. There's nails. There's a cross. And then we flip the page in John 19, and Jesus is crucified. He dies. The Bible says in John 19, in verse 30, that it is finished, was one of his final words. John 19 ends with Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea asking Pilate for the body, and they're going to bury it in Joseph's new tomb. And it says in verse 41 of John 19, now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. We don't think about that garden. And so from the garden of despair, we go to the garden of hope. And then in chapter 20, as Jesus is resurrected, Mary sees him, but she thinks he is a gardener. And he tells her who he is. But the idea of a gardener, a gardener is someone who brings life. And what we try to, what we try to impress upon in this sermon is in a lot of our modern cemeteries today, they have park-like settings, beautiful flowers, lovely manicured yards, beautiful trees, and they even have titles such as Forest Lawn or Lakeside or Riverview, and and all these just have a, a nice setting. But we know underneath the ground, there are graves, and sometimes we do that same thing with our lives. We, we have a lot of graves in our lives as we think about disappointments and things. And sometimes we try to cover up the, the surface with smiles and denial and all kinds of things like that. But then we come to Jesus. And what we see out of Jesus in John chapter 20 is that he is the one who gives life. He's the one that gives hope. He's the one that gives us the future. And so that was kind of the the gist of the sermon. It's on our podcast. We encourage you to go there and to kind of look at that. But since we talked so much about the resurrection, there was one little segment that I'd like to return to, and that takes us to Matthew 28. And in Matthew 28, the angel appears to the women as they have gone to the tomb. And in verse 5, 6, and 7, we find seven statements that verify the resurrection of Jesus. The angel says, he is not here, for he is risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he was lying. Go quickly and tell the disciples he's risen from the dead. And behold, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. First thing they say is he's not here. That's proof of the resurrection. Secondly, he has risen. That tells you what happened to him. He wasn't stolen. He was risen. 
just as he said, verifying what he had said all along that he was going to be raised. He said that from John chapter 2 on, he always had been saying that I will be killed, I will be raised. Then the angel says, come and see. Go into that tomb. Look for yourself. Look for the evidence. The angel then says, go and tell his disciples that he is risen. And then the angels tell them that you will see him. Again, he's going to appear before you. And then the angel says, I have told you, the voice of heaven. And so right there in that compact little statements are seven proofs of the resurrection of Jesus. It is a powerful section of scripture. Uh, it was a powerful sermon, and I would echo the, if you haven't had the opportunity to watch or to listen, go back to charlestownroad.org. It is right there front and center. You can watch it. It is easily shared with those who need to hear this very special news. But here we are, Roger, in the middle of the week, a couple of days removed from that. And of course, as you mentioned at the outset, while uh, culture around us, many are around the world who spent this past weekend in one way or another, maybe giving a little bit of attention to uh, the the resurrection of Jesus, whether or not they believe that sort of thing. Here we are in the middle of the week as disciples of Jesus, and this is to be the the greatest hope and uh, defining moment in in all of our lives and and all of human history. Right? If if Jesus has not been raised from the dead then that changes everything, and not for the better. And so I thought maybe we could go back for a few minutes to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In every sermon, there's only so much, obviously, you can cover. And even though you were in these gardens in the Gospels, it's fascinating to me how the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 still uses agricultural terms to get us to think not just about what happened in history, but what it means for us. You know, you and I, everyone listening today, we are far removed geographically, historically from these events. And yet, here we are reading Paul's letter to the Corinthians. They weren't there in Jerusalem. They didn't see Jesus. They didn't personally witness the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. But Paul is writing to them as if they're not second-class citizens of the kingdom of heaven. They can share in exactly the same hope. Certainly, I'd encourage our listeners to go back and read the entire chapter, but I just want to zero in on a couple of these agricultural terms. First of all, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, here we are in in spring, and we are beginning to see the first fruits of all sorts of things around us. What in the world do you think the Apostle Paul meant by referring to Jesus as the first fruits? And he repeats that just about two verses later. In verse 23, but each in his own order, Christ, the first fruits, after those who are Christ at his coming. 
you know, it, it kind of takes me back to ancient Israel when God uh, had the ag- agricultural, the, the rural people of Israel had to make their sacrifices. We often think that their sacrifices were simply given a lamb, but oftentimes they were to give the crops. And when they were to bring something to God, it was the first. It was the firstborn of the animals. It was the first of the fruits. Now, I think what is indicated by this is this is not the totality. There's going to be fruits coming after this. I mean, what's the purpose of planting a, a, a garden and you get one ear of corn out of all that? <laughs> or you get one tomato on your tomato plant and you pick it and that's it. You know when you pick that first tomato, that's the first fruit. But usually when you pick that first one, you've got all kinds of them. They're not quite ripe. They've got some little green ones on there. There's a whole bunch more coming. And that's the idea. Jesus was the first one raised never to die again. Now, we read about several resurrections in our Bible. But everyone who was resurrected died again. Lazarus raised from the dead in John 11. He had to die again. The little synagogue girls uh, in, in Mark chapter 12, who was raised from the dead, she died again. Jesus was the only one to come out never to die again. And he is the first of those fruits. The fruits that follow will be us. We will be raised never to die Again, So already there we've got, I think, a, a good reminder that this is not some sort of cultural annual observance that we tip our hat, nod our heads to, and then go about and live in whatever way we want to live. One of Paul's great points in 1 Corinthians 15 is Jesus was raised from the dead. He even tells those in Corinth, uh, there are still people alive who witnessed this. He appeared to the apostles at various points. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. They, They could go and they could investigate themselves if they wanted to, but he's drawing their attention to the fact Yes, Jesus was raised from the dead, and that means you are going to be raised from the dead. I am going to be raised from the dead. From the dead, death is not our end. We we don't take this approach in life that, well, I'm going to eat and drink because tomorrow I'm going to die, and and that's all that there's going to be to my existence. No, I'm going to stand before this one who conquered death in that garden. He is the first fruits of a great harvest yet to come. I think an earlier passage, we can just kind of show and layer on this, something Jesus said in the book of John chapter 5, 28 and 29, do not marvel at this for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. So when we think about this concept of the resurrection, it's not that just the good people, it's not just the righteous people, it's not just the Christians going to be raised. John tells us from the words of Jesus, everybody's going to be raised. And so Jesus is the first of what's going to come after that. All right. So first fruits, that's a gardening term, right? But that is not the only time that the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 uses those sorts of agricultural terms. Down in verse 37, he anticipates a question. If if Jesus was only the first fruits, someone will ask, how 
are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? And here is Paul's response. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. Now we get the sense that he's trying to teach us something significant here. Roger, what does he want us to understand? Well, you know, as he's answering this question and and he's he's a little bit harsh as we would think about it. I mean, verse 36 is calling him the fool. We are doing on uh, Fridays our podcast talking about that yeah. very concept <laughs> of the fool. And so he he's kind of hard on this person. The Corinthians had some issues on the resurrection. Earlier in chapter 12, or excuse me, verse 12 of this chapter, he would say there's some people among you who say that there is no resurrection at all. And so that's the that's the, the legs upon which our faith stands. If there is no resurrection, we don't have anything. And so since Christ is going to be raised, we're going to be raised. Now, I, I hear this question all the time. When we talk about the subject of life after death, whenever I preach upon this, everybody asks these questions. So when I'm raised, am I going to look like when I died or when I, or will I look like when I was 16 years old? You know, well, I have to have my glasses. Well, you know, I, you know, I've got a, a bad hip or I've, I've got a, a knee replacement. Will that be raised with me? What about my hearing aid? I mean, all these questions. And Paul's simply saying, enough. You don't get it. And he goes to the idea of farming to illustrate this. You take this little black seed. It doesn't look like much, but you put it in a flower pot. You water it, and you sit it outside. It gets some soil. I mean, get some sunshine, some rain on it. Pretty soon, up comes this little green sprout. It grows and grows. And pretty soon, here comes this beautiful, beautiful flower. Now, that flower doesn't look like that little black seed you stuck in the soil. So we are that little black seed right now. And so we will be raised, but we're not going to look like we're looking right now. So don't worry about what I look like when I died, what I look like when I'm 16. What about my glasses? I hope they don't leave those behind. All, <laughs> all, that's all material. That's all physical. We're going to be raised up, but we're going to look different. We're going to look glorified. That's the idea of this plant here. You know, if you plant this little black seed and up came a big old ugly seed, we think, <laughs> who wants that in our house? But what comes up is a beautiful, beautiful flower. That's the way we're going to be. Yeah, he amplifies that. I think you're exactly right. Beginning in verse 42, moving from seeds to the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. That's, that's our bodies, right? Our bodies are perishable. But what is going to be raised, it's imperishable. We understand that in many ways, as we age, perhaps as we lose some of our strengths, our abilities, our our faculties, what is sown, it may be sown in dishonor, but it is going to be raised in glory. It may be sown in weakness. We may be only able to do a a tiny fraction of what we once did early on in our lives, but it will be raised in power. What is sown, what is buried, what, what passes away is a natural body, but it's going to be raised a spiritual body. And and we can understand that. I mean, we 
You know, most of us try to look as best as we can when we go out in the public, but we know what we look like. We've got wrinkles and warts and freckles and scars and all kinds of stuff all over us. And, and that's just the imperfection of living in this world we are in today. And those are some things that come from that. But what's going to be raised is going to be totally different. In the book of 1 John chapter 3, John says it this way, we're not sure what we're going to look like, but we'll look like him. And so, again, that, that glorified, resurrected state. And so, you know, what, what I think Paul's trying to do through this is don't focus so much upon the idea of what I'm going to look like. That's almost a selfish concept. Don't worry about that. God will take care of you. And the emphasis is upon you need to be walking with Jesus so that when you are raised, you're going to go to the right place. That's the emphasis. He is the Lord. He is the king. He's the one that Christ Satan by being put to death and then being raised the first one. You know, there are a lot of stories that we don't know the end to. Uh, both of you, you and I, we we enjoy baseball. Baseball season has only just begun, and we have no idea how the season is going to end. I, I have a feeling your high-paid Dodgers may do well, much better than my low-paying Cleveland team, but you get the idea. Lots of uncertainties, right? We can begin a new book. We can sit down and and watch a new movie. Uh, we may not know how the story is going to end. We don't know exactly where all of uh, the twists and turns of our own story are going to take us. But in passages like those gospel scenes that you took us to, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 John we're being given the end of the story. Right here and right now, we feel the sting of death. And that is where Paul uh, ends what we have as 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Death stings. Death hurts, right? But the time is coming when the perishable will be replaced by the imperishable and the mortal will be replaced by the immortality by immortality and then eventually the time will come when all of God's people are able to say death is swallowed up in victory no wonder he ends this chapter with thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And he almost taunts this concept of death, where he says, O death, where's your sting? Or, O death, where's your victory? O death, where's your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us that victory. And and what he's really emphasizing is death is not final. We do not have a the end. There's not a last page to our story. Now, that's hard for us to imagine because everything in life has something that ends. Every movie ends. Every book ends. Even the Bible. Everything ends, but we don't. And that's through the hope of the resurrection. And so we don't need to fear. Uh, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus would say, do not fear the one who can kill the body and do no more. There's no more he can do. He could kill the body, but guess what? We still live. All we do is switch rooms. All we do is move on to that eternal state. And so through this, he's trying to encourage these Corinthians who had lots of questions, lots of uncertainties, and and that continues on today. We have a lot of questions about death. We have a lot of things about 
Where do we go? What's it going to be like? What are we going to do every day? And, and all those thoughts just kind of fill our hearts and our minds with stuff. But when we read sections like this, it puts us at ease because God has shown us this is what's going to happen. You're going to be okay as long as you stay right beside Jesus. And he was the first one to go through this. It's not like no one's ever been through this before, and good luck, boys. Jesus went through this, first of all. He died. We haven't died yet. He was resurrected. We haven't been resurrected yet. He's in that eternal state. We're not there yet. But because of Jesus, we have that hope that everything will be fine. And that's that's the emphasis, I think, through this section here. The journey from the garden to the garden. One more time, if you have not had the opportunity to watch or to listen to that, it is in our sermon podcast feed, but also freely available at charlestownroad.org. Roger, we appreciate you walking through those passages and getting our perspective where it needs to be. Here in the middle of the week, of course, we're looking forward to another opportunity. You're teaching our adult class this evening. Yes, we are looking this month at the topic of a disciple honors God. And tonight we're going to talk about how we honor God through praise, uh, through the fruit of our lips, the book of Hebrews would talk about. And so that's that's some layers we're going to be looking at this evening. Love to have you come and be with us. In our Building Blocks track of studies, we've been exploring the question, what is love? And we've talked about how love honors God, love abides in God's word, it abides in the truth. This evening, we want to talk about how love wants the best for others. What does that look like? What does that mean? And what's it going to require of us? We would love to see you this evening at 7 o'clock p.m. Lord willing, this coming Sunday morning, I have the opportunity to preach at 9.30 a.m. I'm going to take us back to a recent scene from some of our daily Bible reading in the Old Testament. We've been reading from the book of Numbers, and I want to take you back to Numbers. Numbers 13, Numbers 14, where Moses is told by God to send some spies into that promised land, and the spies are just in awe at what they see, but they come back and they say, we seemed like grasshoppers to ourselves, and we seemed like grasshoppers to the people in that promised land. A whole lot depends upon how we view ourselves and how God views us. And so we'll talk a little bit about how the world views us, how we view ourselves, but most importantly, how God views us and the difference that that can make. Roger, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks to all of you for listening to This Week at Charlestown Road. We're looking forward to tonight, 7 o'clock p.m. We're already looking forward to Sunday, the best day of the week, and we would love to have you come and grow with us.